welcome to today's episode of It's a PR Thing. I'm your host, Stephanie McFarland, and today I want to talk with you about building relationship capital. In the last podcast episode, I touched on the loose definition of relationship capital, and some of you reached out and asked me to talk more about that. First of all, thank you very much for making the ask, and ask and you shall receive. This is like turning on a fire hose with me because I am an absolute zealot on this topic. And though I do promise to keep it restrained to a commute length podcast, I really can't wait to dive into it. So come on. Welcome everyone to It's a PR Thing. This is the show where we help you build relationships that build business. We'll give you a better understanding of what PR is today and how you can use it to drive your business in ways you never knew you could. If you're ready to build bigger and better relationship capital, then this is the show for you. Everyone, so glad you're joining me again today to talk about PR things. I love talking about PR things and I could go on all day about our profession. Before I launch, however, into our episode, I do want to remind you that we are not overproduced here at It's a PR Thing. We pride ourselves on being scrappy, sassy, and sincere, but always striving to bring you scintillating content. I also want to give a shout out to Rachel. She is our podcast producer. She is also a student at the Heron School of Art here in Indianapolis, which is an excellent institution. And she is wonderfully tolerant with my flubs, missed deadlines, re-records. Believe me, when it comes to doing my own podcast, I can screw it up. And Rachel, she's a miracle worker. So Rachel, we're really grateful you're on our team and appreciate you big time. Now onward and forward to relationship capital. Let me refresh two definitions from the last episode, and that's the definition of public relations and relationship capital. Because you really need to understand the first one to know how you can use it to access the second one. So definition of public relations, everybody say it with me, it's the management function. Come on, say it again. It's the management function. Say it again. It's the management function that identifies, builds, and maintains mutually beneficial relationships between an organization and its stakeholders. Now, just as a refresh, I did not say it's the marketing support function. I did not say it is the clerical function. And I did not say it is the spin doctor function or the leak team or the media hired guns. You get the idea. So again, it's that function in an organization that is an umbrella that monitors and takes proactive action to maintain, grow, build, nurture, improve relationships that the organization needs to be successful. So that's it in a fairly big nutshell. Now, relationship capital. So relationships you build can act as a form of currency. They, they buy actions for you. So those actions could be influence, votes, sales, participation in something, positive reviews, return business. Now what actions they buy, of course, depends on the quality of the relationship. And the deeper, the more authentic, sincere, genuine, and longer the relationship, the more emotional currency you have to work with. When you have relationship capital with people, you can make more things happen. And of course, we hope those things are opportunity, progress, and or prosperity for communities. Now, prosperity for communities, that can happen in an organization that is a profit organization because if your organization is doing well, 
that means you can hire more people, you can increase pay, you can expand operations and buildings, and that can add to the local uh, real estate tax rolls, uh, property tax tax rolls. And you can also expand your services that can help more people in your community. So think of it like that. Now in all of this, I also want to touch on messaging, communication, dialogue, and relationship. They're all connected, but yet they're each different. Let's start with messaging. And and I'm not going to really spend a lot of time on this. You know what it is in a nutshell. It falls into that propaganda category that we covered in the last episode. So it is important to understand, though, that there is actually a dark side to messaging. And if you've studied social psychology, you've probably bumped into uh, that information in terms of history, concepts, theories, and so forth, such as the history of military psyops, neuro-linguistic programming. Uh, there are concepts called nudging. There are these documents called the mind space and the East documents, etc. So, But you know what? I'm going to leave that for you to explore on your own. When I observe people sitting around the table using the term messaging, most have just a really high-level understanding of it, and they're just showing a lot of times that they know how to speak the lingo. You know, most people outside of politics and policy making, when they say messaging, what they really mean is what point do we want to make? What's our position? But messaging, again, is part of an antiquated understanding of what PR is. When I'm in a room where the word messaging is being thrown around, I like to kind of hang back and let people get all their messaging energy out. And then I like to ask a crucial question, and that is, what does success look like? when we're on the other side of this effort. And that's strategic. Um, It's also a throwback to Stephen Covey. You know, he taught us to start with the end in mind. And in most cases, the answer I get is um, a specific perspective that the client wants to see that's demonstrated via a desired action from the specific stakeholder. So what they want is much deeper than just broadcasting a message. One day, I'll record a podcast on diffusion theory, and you'll see why messaging is inadequate in driving relationship capital. So now let's move on and talk about communication. So communication, as we generally work it in our field, that's more about providing information to help further understanding. And it's, and it's a tool that we do use in the process of building relationships. But as I said in episode three, it doesn't constitute an actual relationship. Communication, oftentimes, as we're working it today, is a lot of output. We're putting out, essentially, your messages into some type of content channel and pushing it out the door. And too many organizational communication divisions are set up to be these internal mills that just churn out output, like news releases, digital content, email blasts, etc. It's telling their story via their messaging. But communication, ideally is a first step to a much grander end. It's a mechanism, if it's done right, for inviting and encouraging dialogue. And dialogue, again, ideally, is a productive outcome. And my point is, if you're practicing just communication output, you have to go further. You're not going far enough. And don't worry, I'm gonna be sharing some examples later that are gonna connect all the dots here. Now dialogue, on the other hand, is give and take. Because it's listening, receiving, giving feedback or pushback, and it's enhancing understanding. And through all of that, you're creating connection. Dialogue is where relationship truly begins. It's real interaction. It's where, if you're doing it right, you you seek first to understand and then have the opportunity to be understood. And that's where you plant the seeds 
of the win-win relationship. And now relationship, that's the end goal. That's the pinnacle of our efforts. That's where we want dialogue to produce and a reciprocal relationship to result because from dialogue and productive interaction come connection and collaboration. And those generate opportunity, progress, and prosperity for communities. So we get more done through relationship to achieve things that deliver real value back to society than we do or rather than we get through messaging and just telling our story. Okay, so what does relationship capital look like in reality, right? So, so far we've just been covering things from more of a theoretical academic perspective. So how does that play out? I've got two examples today that I'm gonna share with you and I'm just gonna cover them kind of in a factual basis but we are gonna do some connecting of the dots back to what we've talked about here at the preface uh, on the podcast. Now, the first one is something that I observed in part, but got some great testimony from someone who actually lived it. And the second one is one that I actually did live. It actually is a, a business-related example, and it's an oldie but a goodie, but that one actually I was directly involved in. So the first one is about a local police unit in a neighborhood. There is a salon uh, that used to be close to my house and it used to sit in front of a neighborhood that surrounds a park and that park has a basketball court. There are a number of times where I've seen a couple of police officers out there playing basketball with the kids. Every time I see that, that warms my heart. That's what I want to see. I want you out there. I want you building a relationship. I want you to get to know the people in the community. And they were taking time to play ball with the kids. So, you know, what wasn't to like there? For a long time, but though, that's all I knew, just seeing the officers play ball with the kids until one day I had a long wait in a grocery store line and I was enlightened to uh, kind of the situation further. I had the lovely experience of striking up a conversation with a lady who was behind me and I learned that she lived in the neighborhood where the park is and I mentioned that I had seen the police officers who were playing ball with the kids through the years. When I told her that, her face just lit up. And she opened up and just raved in the most positive way about uh, the, the local police unit. She told me that they had established a neighborhood watch group with the residents. They play ball with the kids regularly, mentor them, and really work to try to have a good, good open dialogue with them. She said they police officers, they walk the neighborhood, they get to know the residents. She told me just this whole playthrough of different stories um, kind of these little vignettes would be great for a book one day. But she told me about how the police officers, for example, they would stop and help elderly neighbors carry their groceries in from the car, how they helped a neighbor one time track down her, her missing dog that was running wild and free around the neighborhood. And she even told me about a couple of young men. Uh, it was a couple, a couple of young men, I guess, kind of uh, years apart, but they had gotten into some trouble with, uh, with the juvenile court. And so the police officers actually supported those young men as they were going through kind of the consequences of the transgressions, so to speak, and how when that process was over, how the police officers supported those, each of those young men, again, these were separate incidents, um, but they supported them, you know, in really helping to get their lives on a, on a positive path. Um, Again, she had a litany of testimonies about what the local police unit was doing to help support uh, the neighborhood in, in the course of their jobs. And she said that she and her neighbors felt, you know, definitely safer and more secure having that relationship. That is relationship capital. These officers went out. They identified opportunity to build relationships. They made connections with folks. They established dialogue with them. 
They, they sought to understand, you know, what do they need? What do they want? You know, what does, what do we need to build this relationship? They uh, worked with the neighbors and the police officers. They collaborated together. And now that relationship capital has bought progress, mutually beneficial, right? It's a win-win. It's bought progress in the neighborhood through reduced crime and more security. And that, my friends, is prosperity to communities because there's a wealth in feeling safe and secure in the place where you live. Now, on to my second example. And again, this is an oldie but a goodie. And it's pretty cut and dried, so we can we can walk through this one pretty fast here as we're kind of wrapping up our podcast today. You know, I used to work for a state tax collection agency. Yes, I guess you could say I was a revenuer at one point in time or a tax collector in a sense. Um, I joined the agency and uh, it was myself and a, and a fairly all-new leadership team. And I quickly learned that our local CPA society was not warm to our agency. Now, this was definitely some tension that had built over the years before we got there. Um, but I knew enough, even in my newness of the role, to know that we needed these professionals to help ensure that taxpayers' taxes were filed accurately and hopefully with that paid timely. So we needed a better relationship with them. The first thing I did was assure that we had a liaison on my team that would work with the CPA Society on things like just making sure they have updates and information, uh, working to set up forums and opportunity and drive people to continuing education, making sure they had tax policy, updates and opportunities, you know what I mean, for forums to ask questions and get clarity. And our liaison on our team did a great job of that. Then I made sure that the CPA Society knew that they had someone, I volunteered yours truly, that they could contact directly if they had any problems, concerns, or, you know, if they needed a conference with our commissioner, or we also had an audit deputy director and a deputy commissioner as well. So we worked that relationship for six years. And that was regular dialogue. It was looking for opportunities to collaborate. It was getting their input and their feedback and taking that and converting that into actionable items that were mutually beneficial. We saw a definite change in tone and nature of that relationship over that time period. So in fact, the last year that I was there with that agency, the CPA Society representative showed up, just kind of unannounced, we didn't realize they were coming, But they showed up at our annual meeting, which was a public forum that was statutorily required, and they asked for the floor. And they actually took the time to thank our CPA liaison, myself, our commissioner, and our audit commissioner and director for the way that we had turned that relationship around. That is relationship capital. Because of that improved relationship with the CPA Society, we were able to develop collaboration that was a win-win, meaning that it was mutually beneficial for both parties, ours and the CPA folks. And through that collaboration, we were able to make improvements to our processes, our procedures, and it lent itself to improved efficiency in tax filing and more timely revenue. See, that's what relationship capital buys you, even down to the basics of business. So let's talk about What was alike in these two examples? There was connection, regular dialogue, collaboration, all leading to opportunity, progress, and in some form or fashion, prosperity for communities. But let's also look at what was missing. There really was no messaging. There was no spin. There was no manufactured persuasion campaign, no publicity. 
no media pitching, you get the idea. This was just good old fashioned relationship building that delivered mutually beneficial positive results. Now, there is a place for the tactics I just described, messaging, publicity, media pitching, but they only help to generate awareness. That's where their power is limited. Then you have to go further. You have to do more to get to the win-win relationship. But that, my friends, is a podcast for another day. Thank you again for joining me today for It's a PR Thing. I love talking to you about PR things. Please go out and make it a great day.